Amen. Please be seated. These um, August uh, Sundays, we've been looking together at uh, some very familiar passages of Scripture and uh, just picking up on a a few that um, we know, but do we really know and do we know the background of them and how that should impact uh, our lives? And Today, I'm just taking a piece of scripture from uh, the book of Jeremiah. And these words are, are words that are very familiar with, with many of us. Um, and they become something like one of your life verses. Has anybody else here got a life verse? Do you know what a life verse is? Let me tell you what a life verse is. It's one of those verses in the scripture that either somebody has given to you, like you may give a verse to Ollie, in a, in a little while. Somebody's given to you, or something that you've read, and as you've read it, you've just sensed the Spirit of God just highlighting this verse. That it's something specific for you. Usually you write it in the front of your Bible. I don't know how that works now. We put all of our Bibles on our telephone. Telephones, there's a word for you. Telephones. On our phones. Um, but it's a anybody here have a life verse? Does anybody have a verse that they say, do you know, this is my verse, this is what... David, do you have a... Do you, can you remember your life verse? <laughs> That's the idea of life verses. What is your life verse? John 14, chapter 1. The, the whole of... No, you've got John 14, verse 1. Which goes like what? What does it say? Fantastic. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, but trust also in me. A life verse. A verse that, do you know, sometimes you find yourself in difficult situations and then God just brings to mind this verse. Uh, just reminds you of a promise that he's given to you. Do you have a life verse then, Roy? Okay. Cool. Cool. Life verses. Does anybody else have a life verse? You have a life verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, which says, Holding on to the promises of God. I think that's fantastic. This is a, a, a verse that many people have as a, a life verse. Does anybody know what this is before I even put it up? Okay, here it is. These words, yeah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's good words, isn't it? Fantastic words. About um, 625, 626, somewhere around that BC, the prophet Jeremiah was speaking. He was the oracle, he was the speaker of the word of God. And these are some of the words that the Lord spoke to him to share with others. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And then the beautiful promises, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But the thing about it is, what we need to recognize is that when Jeremiah was bringing these words, there was a little bit of opposition. You see, there was another prophet. Well, let's stop for a moment. Things were extremely difficult 
in that time. And there was a lot of, um, I suppose, disobedience by God's people. And God had spoken through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25. And when he spoke to the, the people, he was actually saying to them, um, this disobedience has come before me and you are going to go into exile. Then Babylon was going to be coming along. So you're going to go into exile for 70 years. Okay, now when somebody tells you something that you don't really want to hear, what you do normally is that you then start looking for people who might be telling you something you would, would like to hear. And there was this bloke called Hananiah. And Hananiah was uh, a prophet who was telling everybody, don't listen to Jeremiah because you're only going to have difficulty for two years. And then everything's going to be fine. And, and Jeremiah said, you know, this is not right. And this is what is written in Jeremiah 28, responding to Hananiah. When the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in life. Do you know, you have to be very, very careful about weighing what God has laid upon your heart. Is this from God? Is this from God? You see, whenever we have a prophetic word, whenever somebody brings a word of prophecy, of a word from the Lord, we would say, okay, does it line up with Scripture? Is it fitting in what the Word of God is saying to us? And does it line up with um, what other respected mature Christians are hearing and sensing that God is doing amongst us? So we have a test. Is it, is it in the Word? Is it being testified by those brothers and sisters in Christ of maturity that we can trust? And is it, is it something that resonates in our hearts? And here's the situation. Jeremiah, you know, in one sense, people are saying, oh, well, we like what you're saying, Hananiah. And Jeremiah is saying, no, that's not right. That's not going to happen. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Now, this is not very good stuff for poor old Hananiah. Uh, this is what the Lord uh, says. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year, you're going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. Not great stuff, is it? Not very good at all. And you see, that comes to the end. And as you come to the end of chapter 28, it's very simple. On the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. Don't mess with God. Don't say your, these words are from God if they really are not from God. So it's really important that we test and try what God is saying. But Jeremiah is bringing to the people that there is going to be a time, and it's going to be a time of difficulty. That period of time is going to last for 70 years. And you think to yourself, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. What am I going to do in that 70 years? But, you see, what happens is to these people, the children of Israel, as they go into exile, is probably what happens to us when we find ourselves facing difficulties. We just seem to put it all off. We say something along the lines of, oh, when this? I, I can't wait until I finish school. I can't wait until I finish college. I can't wait until I have uh, paid off the debts that I owe. And I can remember that for myself. Uh, as I was putting off God's call on my life to go into ministry, I, I was in a little bit of debt, and, uh, but I had a good job, and I could see myself getting sorted, and then I had this accident on the M4, and God looked after me through that accident, and it was almost like in the, 
emergency room in the, in the, in the uh, uh, casualty department. I'm sat there, and, and it's like God was just saying to me, see, Dave, I can look after you. I can look after you. So don't stop putting off stuff, because God can look after you. Don't be putting off things and saying, uh, when this happens, then I'll do. Or, or when that happens, then, then I'll do. If God has spoken to us, and we've got to remember this, haven't we? When God speaks, we are talking about almighty God. You know, we've sort of fitted him into being almighty God and forget that he's all actually almighty God. And when he speaks to us, the seriousness of hearing. How many of us have heard something from the Lord and not done it? Uh, maybe I'll pick up with that in a few moments. I can't wait until this is over so I can do that. But that's not the way that God is asking us to behave. These are the words at the beginning of Jeremiah 29. Verse 11 is that life verse that we look at. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people. Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is the text of the letter. He says, there's something happening here, and in the context of something that's happening, he wants you to do something. So it's not a case of waiting around. It's a case of, there's stuff to be doing, so let's get on with it. So how do we do that? How do we respond when we find ourselves in the middle of it, whatever it is. They find themselves in exile. They find themselves in a difficult position. What do we do? Well, the first thing that I want to say today is what we do is we make sure we get God's perspective on the situation. So often we think this is dire and awful and terrible and, and I don't, can, cannot see the way out. I'm weighed down by whatever it is that is crushing in on me at the moment. But maybe the weighing down isn't God's perspective. Let's draw near to God. Let's spend time in his presence. Let's search the word as we're reading. God speaks to us through his word. Let's spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ who may be able to encourage us and give us uh, a different perspective on things. And that perspective that we want is, is God's perspective. You see, you may remember the story of Joseph. Now, he wasn't liked by his brothers. You might remember that in the book of Genesis. Not a liked guy. Seen as the favorite son. Gets this fantastic coat. The other brothers decide that it's... it's uh, an opportunity comes that we can get rid of him. They end up digging a pit, and then instead of killing him and putting him in the pit, they sold him into slavery. And then before you know it, there is uh, changes, because he is sold into slavery, he becomes um, Pharaoh's, uh, uh, I suppose it's, it's his right-hand man. And all these things turn around till he's in a position of influence. And then there's a famine that comes to the land, and when the famine comes to the land, his brothers are the first to come and ask for some of the resources that have been built up under the oversight of Joseph. Well, they all thought he was dead and gone. But then this beautiful words, I, I love this from Genesis. This is Joseph speaking to, to his brothers. This is God's perspective on a situation. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. 
because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Who would have thought that God was in something like that? He turns the situation around. God was in it. In the situation that you find yourself today, can you just look out and see where is God in this? Where is God in this? I don't know if you remember this. Jesus is walking with his disciples and they're going from one place to another and they decide to go through a place called Samaria. Do you remember that? Now, Samaria, Samaritans, they weren't meant to be mixing with the likes of Jesus and his disciples. And usually, if they were traveling, they would go around the outside of Samaria. But Jesus then takes his guys right through the middle and you think to yourself, what are we doing here? And the question would have come from the disciples. Why are we going this way? We don't go this way. And then Jesus says, okay, you guys go into the village, get us something to eat. I'm going to sit up here by the well. And he sits by the well, and within a few moments, a woman comes out midday to draw some water. There's a, an amazing conversation that goes on about living water and worship. And then Jesus tells her some phenomenal things about her that only God would know and therefore relaying it to her gives her an amazing sense of an awareness that God knows her. She gets excited, goes to the village, tells everybody, do you know what? I've just met somebody who knows everything that I've ever done. And even though everybody knew what she'd done in themselves, this was a stranger who knew stuff. And it ends up turning the whole community around. One encounter in the wrong place, at the wrong time, with the wrong person, turned around a whole town who came out for an encounter with God. God's perspective. You might find yourself in the wrong place. You think you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, but God may very well have brought things together for you to be there, to be a transformer. God's timing is always perfect. Get his perspective. That's the first thing we want to talk about. Perspective is always important. We need to make sure that we get God's perspective. Second point here, when you're in the middle of it, just like those in exile were, get productive where you are. You see, what happens is we start marking time. We find ourselves wherever we are in this difficulty challenge, and we say, okay, well, when that passes... But actually, look at what it says here. <laughs> this is, I love this quote. This isn't from the Bible, by the way. Okay? <laughs> the problem with excuses, though, is that they're like armpits. Everybody's got a couple, and they usually stink. Because what happens is we get like this whole idea, get productive where you are. We come up with a million excuses why we can't do stuff. I can't do it. I can't do this because I'm waiting on this or I'm waiting on that. Whereas the reality is, you know, if you were to look at what was happening with the children of Israel, (laughs) their situation was not great. Yet, they had a different perspective. They stopped, were told to stop making excuses. And this is what it says. Jeremiah reminds them, you need to do some building. Build some houses and I want you to settle down. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to eat what they produce. I want you to marry and grow families. Now, these people in exile could have thought to themselves, we're waiting to be released back. But Jeremiah says, no, Lord, says, where you are, do great things. When you find yourself thinking to yourself, I will be better somewhere else, 
God may be actually saying, no, I've planted you here to blossom, to flower, and to be fruitful. And actually, you being here may very well transform this situation. A number of people that I've known who have maintained in a place of work, even though it was difficult, to be a witness that brings about a transformation. There's a, a brilliant book by a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was a, a, a writer, Christian guy. In the Second World War, he was held prisoner by the Nazis. And this book, if you ever dare to read it, you can probably pick it up on Amazon for a penny plus delivery. And I think you can even download it now as a free PDF, so you don't even have to buy it. But the cost of discipleship is, is an amazing situation because he, this guy writes from a concentration camp about God and walking with God and having God in the forefront of your life. Here's, here's a, a sentence from or two from the book. It says here, Bonhoeffer greatly inspired all those who came in contact with him. He even inspired his guards with respect, some of whom became so much attached to him that they smuggled out of prison his papers and his poems written there and apologised to him for having to lock his door after the round in the courtyard. How about that? Jeremiah says to the people, you are in exile, you're not in a place where you want to be, but this is really okay because what you're going to do is you're going to build houses, you're going to start community, you're going to grow the family. We want to be bigger when we go back than when we came. What's God asking you to do where you are at the moment? We might be thinking about, well, when we're over here, when we get a bigger house, when we can get a better job or whatever, but actually God may just be saying today, Shh, where you are, let it flourish. Now, some people sometimes, I don't know if you've ever, ever um, have you ever heard the phrase, these phrases keep coming to mind, have you burnt your bridges? Have you ever, ever heard of that phrase? The whole thing about, do you know what, you've messed up. It, it's, the, it's the Christians whose language is worse than the non-Christians. I've been there and I've heard it. It's the behaviour of, of people. Do you know, I can remember a situation, somebody grabbing uh, the car parking space nearest the door when actually they were fit and able and they could park further away and just walk in and, and yet... The witness is, somebody says, oh, well, you don't, don't run up against such and such coming into the car park. They'll get into a space before you. What a thing for people to say about us. We don't want that. Let's be a, a witness. Let's make sure that if there was any b- bridges that are burning, let's get them put out. It doesn't take long to do something differently to change people's per- perceptions of us. Bonhoeffer changed the perceptions of his captors just by the way that he behaved. Here we go. When we're in the middle of it, there's an, do not listen to faithless people. Oh my goodness me. There are doom and gloom mongers left, right and centre. You see, when we find ourselves in a difficult time, we're saying, let's get God's perspective on it. Let's get about the business, the call that he's placed upon our lives. And let's remember that we are listening to what God is saying rather than those who have got another agenda. These are like Job's comforters. If you've ever read the book of Job, one of the first books of the Bible to be written, you want to try going through it. It's a phenomenal book. But what you do is you find all those people that you can relate to who are 
you know, they're, they're, they're half-empty people all the way through. They've never made anything of their life, so therefore they want to make sure you don't make anything of your life. Look at these words from Jeremiah 29. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them, you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. You see, when we take hold of the word of God and some of those promises, which may very well be life verses, in the midst of a million other voices telling you the opposite, it's very hard to stay with what God may be saying. But remember, God is saying it. How many times have I heard people who said, I hung on to the words? And I saw the word manifested over my life. There's a a million people who will tell you the the difficult stuff. They will tell you the stuff that you're never going to make it. I think I love that. I love it when somebody says you can't do. Do you you know that sort of thing? When somebody reminds you that actually it's impossible. I was just reading an article about that bloke who uh, jetted across from France to England on that hoverboard thing. Did you see that on the telly? Yeah. Fantastic. People at Eurotunnel are really upset about that because they're just feeling that this is something that's going to take their business. But the reason why he's doing that is because somebody told him, you can't do it. And then he does it. When he only got halfway on his first attempt, there were the naysayers who were saying, see, we told you, you'll not be able to do it. And then he did it. He's working on... Uh, inventing a car that hovers. And, I mean, I remember seeing that in Back to the Future, and I'm thinking, this may very well be a reality. A guy hovers across the 22 miles of the English Channel, then it's not going to be long before we're going to be hovering around. But usually it's because somebody said you can't do it. Don't listen to the naysayers. Don't listen to those who are the... The dark prophets, the prophets of doom. Listen to what God has to say. Because he is for you, and because he is for you, who can be against you? Stand up. There's another verse here. Oh, that's Caleb. Oh, yeah, that's the um, going into the promised land. All those people. It was 12 spies. Do you remember that one? They went in, and then 10 come back and said, it's, it's, it's awful, you're not going to make it. But then um, it was uh, Caleb, and who was the other guy? Joshua, that's it. He's come back and said, no, no, we can do it. Let's go for it. It's a land absolutely brimming with uh, something and honey. What's with honey? Milk, yeah. Naysayers, 10 against. Do you know what? The majority is always those people who are with God because God plus one is always a majority. There may be 100 people against, but God plus one, you're on the way. And this is the question, isn't it? Which brings us to the encouragement to be part of the Ladies' Day, if you're a lady, in September. The focus of the Ladies' Day is about hearing God's voice. And on that day, there's going to be some tools, some experiences shared, some information given to help people to just to understand you can hear God's voice. And you will be, and one of the exercises that uh, I know that Carol does um, is an absolute brain shifter when it comes to acknowledging that you can hear God speak and he's speaking to you. 
It's like at this moment in time, you know, where the whole room is, is full of mobile phone signals, radio signals, TV signals. All of that is all around us all the time. We can't hear it or see it unless we have a receiver. And when we've got the phone, we can pick up the phone calls. And when we've got a TV, we can pick up the TV. When we've got a radio, you can pick up the radio. And what happens is, is that we, we somehow believe that we haven't got the resources to hear from God. But his desire is that we would be intimate with him and that we would walk with him and be attentive to his voice. There's a piece of scripture where Jesus actually says something like this. He says, my sheep know my voice. So we as the sheep of the good shepherd should be aware of the voice. Listen to it. Listen to God's voice. Be about God's business because we are hearing him and we are therefore not only hearing him, we are being obedient to him. This is what Jeremiah reminds us. This is that life verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And these are people going into captivity. These are people going into exile. This is what it's called, the exile. People going to know the plans I have for you. Might be things like, oh Lord, how, what plans? This looks devastating. This looks all... But he says, I know these plans. These are how the plans are going to work out. They're going to prosper you and not harm you. You may be feeling, this is beyond my comprehension because what I'm experiencing is the opposite to this. But God's word overshadows that. They're not going to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And the people of Israel, the children of Israel felt, number one, they had no hope. And number two, they definitely didn't have a future. But that's what Jeremiah turned around for them. This is what the Lord says. Some principles. Two principles, and I'll draw things to a close. Two principles. First principle is this. God is more concerned with obedience than comfort. They're going to walk into a situation which is alien to them, is going to be uncomfortable to them, but they step into it obediently. This is what uh, Rick Warren writes in The Purpose Driven Life. God's ultimate goal is in, for your life on earth is not comfort, but character development. Something you're going to go through may actually just be developing your character to be more like Christ. Today we have uh, Holly being baptised. The thing about Holly being baptised, part of her testimony will be the fact that this is an act of obedience. It's more than that, but it is an act of Obedience, because Jesus himself says, believe and be baptized. If you are a believer and you're not baptized, you are in a place of disobedience. How about that? And I don't want to be in a place of disobedience with God. I want to be in a place of absolute, full, complete obedience. I'm going to put myself into a place that I think to myself, well, why would I have a bath in front of a hundred people? Why? Because that's what God's just said to do. It just happens that we do it here. It's an act of obedience. If you are a believer in Christ, then this that Holly is doing today is something you need to do as well because it's being obedient to the word of God. And obedience brings about character development. We might find ourselves doing some things that we don't want to do, but actually afterwards we say, you know, that was really important. That was worth doing. 
Our model, of course, is Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. If Jesus had to walk in obedience into some sticky situations, then why should it be any different for us? If you're finding your walk with Christ a bit of a cruise at the moment, I think you need to just stop and reassess where you're at and what God might be saying to you. This is not the easy route, walking in step with Holy Spirit. He should be taking us to places that we might rather not go. This last week, we had a couple of encounters here, and I think it was all spurned off by Wesley last week in in our our, uh, good news time. I come into work at uh, half past eight or something last Monday morning, and we've got a lady sleeping in the doorway of the church. The next day, we are doing some prep here, and the team who are working here, a, a guy comes in who sleeps on the streets. It just seemed to be there's this catalyst. Now, the thing about it is there are needs there. Are we able to respond to them? And the thing about that, which I find always quite challenging, is the moment that we step into responding for those sort of needs and, and to help those people, do you know what? It's blooming inconvenient. Meeting the lady at the door, I had other things I should be doing, I've got plans for the day, but you have to just jettison all of that and say, Lord, sacrifice, what is it you're calling me to do? Just to put it out there, uh, you know, our, our walk with Christ isn't a walk in the park. It's a difficult walk. If our Saviour had to carry the cross then we recognise the word of God reminding us that we're to take up our cross daily. Obedience, our model. And the second principle is, uh, just to remind you that God knows your situation. When, when the word of God was coming from Jeremiah to the, to the children of, of Israel, the people of God, as they were going into exile, he knew what was going on. And he brought a word that said, there is promise, there is future, there is something of excitement and something to look forward to. And actually, some of those who were going into exile wouldn't come out of exile, but they would see their children and their children's children coming out. There's a part that we all have to play in seeing the full story of what God has for us as individuals, as our families, and as a church comes into fruition and it's a recognition that God knows he knows what's he got in store for us as we as a church step into knowing Jesus and making Jesus known it's going to be uncomfortable it might be challenging but the one thing that I think is is absolutely uh, the foundation of our peace is the fact that God knows our situation and whatever you're going through God knows simple words He's brought you through it. Uh, he's brought you to it, so he'll take you through it. That's what we picked up when we was looking at Psalm 23. And this whole thing of God's providence, having something for us. The pro means before. The vidence is like from the word video is to see. Providence is to see before. God sees before. He knows the end from the beginning. So therefore we find ourselves trusting in him. And these words, which are words that are so often a life verse, are a place we find ourselves getting an enormous amount of peace. Because God says to you, I've got plans. 
I've got plans for you. This is what he says to us today. I have plans. Will you walk in those plans? They're not going to be plans that you're not able to walk into and fulfill, but they are plans that you're going to find will prosper you. You'll be in a place of blessing. You'll not be in a place of harm. And they're plans that give you a hope and a future. And the greatest plan of hope and future is that God desires each and every one of us to walk in relationship with him. Do you know him? That's the question. Do you know him? Who has a plan for your life?